From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Zen Rogers. This is Podcast in Place, a series about life in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, Ripin. Vanga Atika Catalina, Inupainarunga, Anirunga Kikitagurumi, Nelarumi Chisika Jackie Schaefer. That is Jackie Schaefer, our guest for this episode. She's a community development manager with the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. She also serves as a board director of the Nana Regional Corporation. So she's been deeply involved in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic in rural Alaskan Native communities. Emmy producer Roy McCowan talked with Schaefer about her work during the pandemic, how storytelling has helped Native people through this time, and how COVID has impacted efforts to combat climate change. They spoke on March 23rd, 2022. What did your job at ANTHC look like before the pandemic? I actually work in innovative engineering and as a community development manager, I do all the community engagement for our special projects. And um, certainly uh, it, it looked a little different because, you know, obviously the pandemic stopped us from going into homes. Um, but we did have some other projects that um, were pandemic related that actually allowed me to continue to do my job um, because we really wanted to help folks during the pandemic as well. You've kind of gone over this a little bit, but how has the pandemic changed your work and your work style? Um, well, obviously we've been working from home for a couple of years. Um, so, it, you know, we aren't on campus just yet. Um, I'm, I've still actually extensively traveled to communities with, um, you know, a project that we've been working on to get um, hand washing stations and vented honey buckets to communities that are not served with pipe systems for water and sewer. Um, so uh, fortunately, that piece of my work did not change. I simply, some projects were put on hold and delayed due to the pandemic. And then this particular one was um, actually accelerated due to the pandemic. So in what ways has the pandemic changed how communities in the Nana region function, such as Kotzebue, Noatak, Kayana, and Kivalina? Um, what have been the impacts on everyday life? I think the hardest thing for any region, and I have worked across the state during the pandemic, um, is really all the celebrations stopped. Um, you know, indigenous populations are very social and everything um, everything is celebrated. And when all when you can't leave your house and you can't um, gather as a community, it changes the dynamics. And I like to use the reference of, um, you know, our rural communities and their indigenous mindset um, are community first, family second, self last. Um, people in the Arctic would not survive if they didn't help each other. And so that community-based mind thinking is very important. When the pandemic hit, um, certainly, you know, you have to adjust. Um, in a Western setting, it's usually self first, family second, and maybe community if you have time. And so easier to adjust, um, but, you know, in, in a different way. Um, 
So communities, some of the positives were we saw communities band together to learn more about their traditional medicines, traditional plants as medicine, and traditional foods as medicine. And, and that to me was really exciting because that um, shows the resilience of people in, in rural Alaska. Um, you know, without being able to gather, um, probably the most heartfelt thing was not being able to have services for those who passed from COVID. Um, you know, when an elder is shipped out of your community to Anchorage um, to the hospital for medical care, um, you know, in this case, they were separated from family. No one was allowed to visit them. And so they passed away without any family there. And then they, you know, the family had to somehow logistically get that body back to the village to bury. And then they can't celebrate. So they basically, it comes off a plane, they go to the grave, you know, and which has been dug and they bury them. And so it takes away that transition of life. And for families, um, there's no closure. And so it was really difficult to see that in communities where, um, you know, the normal flow of things is not only to celebrate the life of that person, but to share stories. Storytelling is a, a big part of rural communities and they weren't able to do that. So, um, that was probably the hardest thing. As far as everyday life, you know, I saw communities like Kayana band together to go out and community caribou hunts so that everybody had food um, because transportation was disrupted, um, you know, and the store shelves were, um, you know, running low. And so they really turned to indigenous ways of life in order to adjust again. And so uh, that resilience piece is really interesting to me because um, it reminds me just how we've been able to survive in, you know, some of the harshest climates on the planet um, throughout for thousands and thousands of years. So, so that resilience and adaptation piece was really inspiring. Yeah, that's, I mean, what a journey. I'm Alaska Native, I'm from Southeast, and we had a loss uh, of like a very prominent community member in May of 2020, and we were only just recently able to kind of have a celebration of life for him in August of 2021. And it was really, you know, I thought that I had gotten closure and I realized that I didn't. And it's so, it like, it's so impactful and it's so necessary to be able to years after the fact, to be able to come back and celebrate someone who's passed um, away and to be able to kind of get closure, but also be able to remember them and every, just kind of forget about everything bad that has happened since then and just remember the person that you lost. It's really important. And I'm, I really hope that those people will be able to have that. Yeah, communities are just starting to gather again. Um, one of the great things that happened just recently is um, with basketball, you know, schools were closed so they couldn't do sports and basketball is a big part of our world. Um, and it is March Madness. So, you know, we had um, one and two a state championship last week and we have three A and four A this week. So being able to be in a gym with other people and cheer on and celebrate kids is huge. Um, my son is a senior and he plays tonight, so it's a big deal. Um, but that too is, you know, that piece of it, you realize what you just mentioned is you're losing elders and we can't celebrate the kids. So for our cultures, it's very disruptive. 
So how do we make sure that that thread of um, resilience within our cultural piece is there? And it really, you know, it shined through when they had to deliver vaccinations and they had to go on snow machine or, you know, a dog sled or whatever. They they did it out of an airplane at the airport of a little runway, you know. So that to me, those stories are stories that we need to remember that were the good things that happened in the last couple of years. And now that we're able to celebrate kids again and hopefully the summer celebrate weddings and and everything else um i think that you know life will feel a little bit more normal i hope so too i'm really looking forward to this summer i think it'll be really great um could you tell us about what anthc and nana have done to support households and communities in the region during the pandemic as far as continued work and helping communities, um, I think we all had to adjust and adjust quickly. Um, the one thing about ANTHC is, you know, we have over 50% indigenous um, employees that um, serve communities. So we are Alaskans serving Alaskans. And that to me is powerful because when you have to adjust, you you better know how to adjust and understand in the same manner. And to me, that that is, um, we weren't disrupted in, I think we actually became the example of how to adjust and respond in a manner that was um, culturally appropriate. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, we had elders who remembered the TB pandemic or the Spanish flu stories. And so, using storytelling to remind each other that we need to help each other get vaccinated so that we protect each other. I think it kind of revitalized the storytelling element of our people. Um, because once we heard those stories and we were inspired, we could use them to do our job. And and that to me is the, the uniqueness of Alaska is um, we don't just go down this tunnel vision and, and work um, to, to achieve things. We work to um, empower and uh, help uh, create healthier communities. And, and that piece was evident throughout the pandemic. That's so cool that storytelling has been um, revitalized as a result of such a awful thing that's happened. You know, storytelling, uh, you know, all of our, most of us, I think all Alaskan, real Alaskan cultures have oral history. And so our oral historians just passed it on verbally. And so that element of storytelling to us is, is, um, is a huge part of it. It's like all the history books of Western America, um, if they all disappeared and there was no more knowledge to learn. Um, our elders carry that knowledge and they have to be able to voice it. And if they can't share those stories, then our oral history um, diminishes. And so to me, we have to recognize that storytelling to us, the definition isn't the same as in a Western setting because we're not just reading a book telling a story. This is oral history that we're passing on for generation to generation to generation. So um, we have to elevate it and honor it and value it. So how have past outbreaks like TB or the flu pandemic in 1918 impacted how these same communities are experiencing COVID? I think, again, it goes back to that storytelling element. If you had elders in your community that remember even being small children, say you have an 80 or 90 year old elder in your community and they remember being a small child, they could have lived through that 
Spanish flu. I mean, we heard stories where they were the only one in their family of 16 that lived through the Spanish flu. So when you hear stories like that and, and it's it made personal, then it changes how you feel about things. And, and to me, that is um, the strength of oral history. Um, when you read a document or you hear somebody else say it, and they're a stranger, say on the news or, or whatever, um, you're curious, you want to know more. But if it's a family member that you trust, it changes how you respond. And I would say in those communities that have high vaccination rates, they have those strong storytellers um, that share that information and empowered people to get protected. That's fascinating. I really had never thought about that until you mentioned it, like how important storytelling is to the, honestly, like the vitality of our Alaska Native communities. I mean, it's important in my culture for sure. Um, and I guess I do feel a little bit um, not as attached to it because I don't live in my homeland, but it, I mean, that just must be so fascinating to hear those elders, people that you are so connected to and just love so much, hear them tell those um, stories of all the things that they've gone through it just must be just so cool. <laughs> I just can't find another way to describe it. That's just like so fascinating to me. Yeah, no, I am truly blessed to do the work I do. And, um, you know, I never share stories without asking permission because it's their history, right? Um, and, um, and I've heard some very traumatic stories as well. Um, so it really is um, that piece of it that oral history um, is something that I truly value because we are losing our historians one library at a time and, um, and, and we need to value that. Do you think the indigenous language, do you think the passing on of that language has anything to do with the storytelling element either? Um, yeah, I'm sure it does. You know, um, at the time of Western Contact, you know, you not only had um, well, I, I would, in our region, it was mainly churches. The missionaries came and they didn't want you to speak your language. Therefore, you had to learn another language. So chances are you became silent. Um, and yeah, so that piece of it, you know, is connected. Um, in our region, I work with a um, group that is helping to revitalize our language and we hope to have um, fluent speakers here in the next five to 10 years. And, um, you know, but we had to make it, um, we had to value it. Um, there is science that proves that in indigenous populations, if you bring back 50% of their native tongue, that suicide rates go to zero. So there's a correlation between not only language, but um, because language connects you to identity. And then, so there's a wellness piece there that is um, both psychological, spiritual, and um, and obviously um, changes the way communities thrive. And two, if you brought back indigenous traditions into a small population, they would be out on the land and sea, they would be exercising, they would be breathing clean air, um, they would be talking, storytelling. Um, so all those elements uh, create wellness in, in human beings. 
Um, we know that, science knows that. Um, so the more we do that, the, the better it is. And most of our languages are uh, land-based languages. They were, um, everything in nature um, has a word or a term. And in that, um, there's that interconnectivity with nature. And so um, our language is not just a bunch of words that we pair together to make sentences into paragraphs, into novels. Uh, our language is lyrical. And so, um, you know, it, it's taught in song, it's taught in nature. And so when you think about that, really it changes like the whole dynamics of human physiology um, because it's, it's deeper than just learning words and pairing them together. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now. Edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining at me, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now, back to Rowie's interview with Jackie Schaefer. So in your experience, what's it been like with the vaccine rollout in rural Alaskan communities? What were those early days like? Well, you know, there were so many stories that came from those early days because it is difficult. And it's difficult when you are in the dead of winter um, and then you're going into spring breakup and you're trying to launch something so large. You know, how you distribute it, um, how you get it safely and keep it, um, you know, the, the early vaccines, you had to, they were temperature sensitive. So how do you logistically do that in, in site specific? Because I'll tell you, I've been in Alakakit when it was ambient temperature was 60 below. Um, and then I've also been in Alakakit in the, in the heat of summer when it's 100 degrees. So how do you work with communities that have that temperature variance when you're working with a temperature sensitive um, vaccine? So I would say that, you know, we have to remember again that resilience piece and being able to um, utilize our networks throughout the state and rely on each other. You know, ANTHC relies on our regional health organizations who then get the next layer is to our tribal health clinics. So there is this network and um, I think this showed just how strong that network is. Uh, so again, I, you know, I would say probably the most negative thing is the, the publicity, the way it was, um, you know, kind of misconstrued into a political thing. Um, most communities that I went into early on, once the vaccines were launched, those first communities were 80 to 90% vaccinated. So they, they embraced that. But you will hear the stories in those communities. Their elders told them stories of um, previous pandemics. So they, they listened. Um, where you have communities that are maybe more scattered um, and larger in size, and people sat at home and watched the news, um, their view was different. Um, there were communities that still aren't 50% vaccinated. So um, it just really is site specific. 
you've um, touched on this a little bit, but what has been the general response about the vaccine in the areas that you've been to? Um, most of the communities that I work with, um, I mean, there's probably just a handful where I've heard people say that they haven't gotten vaccinated because of what they heard on the news. And it really is interesting to me that this is a good lesson for all of us. Um, the way we communicate and that method of communication uh, could either create um, healthy behaviors, human behaviors, or they could, it could create negative human behaviors. And using fear um, in communities uh, where you have a pandemic that is now into year three, um, it really is a sad way to communicate things. And so to me, I think we all could um, do better at um, elevating that, the positives of it, and really hoping that, you know, that people do get vaccinated, they do get boosted, no different than other um, pandemics that have been eradicated from society. Um, and every now and then they pop back up, but it's because people don't get boosted. So, you know, we, we go, we grow up and then we, we don't go ask our doctors as adults, um, am I ready for my booster? Um, you know, it usually is if you go to the same primary giver, um, that's the other piece in Alaska. If you visit a primary healthcare giver at the Alaska Native Medical Center or part of our network, then they, they have your record. Um, and this is something that people don't realize. If you grow up in the lower 48 and you move around, you see all different kinds of doctors, there is no one database so you have records all over the country and nobody knows you from birth to death like we do. And so it really is like that is a strength. That is not a weakness. That is a strength that we have that um, we could utilize to um, make sure that, you know, we protect our customers. Yeah, that's one of the great things about being a part of ANTHC. Um, because that's where I do my healthcare and it's super nice. So you talk a little bit about storytelling as being a big part, at least in the region that you have observed that storytelling is a really big part about why vaccination rates are a little bit higher. Um, but I was looking at um, vaccination rates for adults in the Northwest Arctic region communities, and it, peer, it appears, excuse me, that they're higher than Alaska as a whole, like generally. Um, besides the storytelling aspect and besides the elders having past experience, do you know any other reasons why that might be? Um, I think every region is a little bit different. Um, the one thing about the Northwest Arctic is, um, the communities are still very interconnected. You know, and when you get in a region like the YK Delta or even the interior, it's such a large, large landmass um, that it's hard to stay interconnected when your um, village is shut down. In our villages, we're interconnected by uh, river systems and um, family members, you know, within the region. So. Communication is still like the CB radio is a still a big way to communicate in a village. Um, I think that our region just happens to collaborate with each other a little bit more than other regions. Um, you know, our, our original for-profit Nana and our regional nonprofit Manila, which is our healthcare um, arm, 
they tend to reach out together. Um, we also are incorporated as a borough. So um, we have strong um, layers of governance that work together. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's the reason. Um, I would think that if your messaging is all the same, it does make people feel more comfortable. So um, that might be one of the reasons, but I, I honestly, I don't think anybody could really answer that. So could you tell me a little bit about why people in Alaska Native communities might be hesitant about getting vaccinated? Um, I think most of the people that I've talked to personally are, you know, the conspiracy theories um, like that, hearing that on the on the news, um, really deter like I would say 100 percent of the people that I talked to, the reason they didn't get vaccinated is because they're afraid it's going to do something to them and that it it's not just a vaccine, it's something else. It's something they saw on TV and they believe that. So um, I have not run across anyone who says that they didn't get vaccinated because of any other reason. Every single person I talk to is because of the fear of it. And so, you know, that, that whole question of, do you believe in science or do you not? That became um, kind of the catalyst that was pushed out um, in the media and unfortunately, really did draw that line. Um, it, it made people question science and um, that that makes it really difficult to kind of push past. Yeah, it's a lot to deal with. Does ANTHC or NANA have any efforts to increase numbers uh, in vaccination? I, you know, I think the hope is that yes, um, the marketing um, and the methods of communication have changed in the last couple of years. Um, and I, I think over time, people will kind of, you know, feel a little more comfortable. Um, but I think it will continue. I mean, there are so many variants to this particular um, virus that um, I, th I think we're going to constantly have to, you know, and I would say as the climate changes, um, you know, as things are released, um, we're probably going to see more of this kind of thing, just because when you have unusual climate events in areas that you haven't had before, um, there's a lot of release of things. So we're going to have to constantly work with science and Indigenous knowledge holders to uh, kind of pave our way forward. So, um, but as far as, um, you know, additional um, you know, marketing and communication to um, boost vaccination. I think right now, I would say the state has really done a really good job. Could you talk a little bit about the history of infectious disease outbreaks in the Nana region? Well, I'm not an infectious disease expert. Um, I do know that, um, you know, my mother, uh, her generation dealt with um, tuberculosis pandemic. I don't know if that was called a pandemic, but, um, you know, it, the Alaska Native Medical Center in Anchorage was actually a TB ward. Um, I did hear stories of, you know, young folks as young as 12 being sent from their village to Anchorage to the tuberculosis ward um, to quarantine. Um, and you know, by themselves without family. So 
I mean, so the stories are there. And to me, those stories are oral histories. So I really value um, that. Um, in my lifetime, I have not dealt with anything like this. So um, like I said, I, I can't tell you any more than that. Would you say that the communities worked together better than they did now? Or would you say that we're coming together more as a community now? Like, how would you compare the two community responses from then to now? I think that, yes, I think communities not only um, probably are more apt to help each other, but I think they're more apt to listen to each other. What works in another community may work in ours. And I think that, you know, tribal leaders really relied on that. You know, when they, when communities say the community of Kayana did the community hunts for caribou to make sure everybody had meat, um, other communities watched and, you know, did the same. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not going to say it's different than before because I think it's just kind of that natural community mindset to help each other. Um, you know, I, I like to use the story of like getting a whale in Barrow. So Ukiavik, I have a cousin who's a, a whaling captain and, you know, they land a whale and everybody goes up for Nalakatak, which is the um, celebration of the whale. They hand out all this whale um, meat and, um, and, and muck duck. And, and then I take it home, then I share it with people and then it gets shared all over the whole state. So like all the way from like, I've taken muck duck from Utkiavik to Metlakatla I've taken it all the way out to, um, you know, outside of Bethel. Um, I brought it to the interior where they don't get whale, but there are people who eat it. So, so that type of sharing, community sharing and helping each other was, has always been there. To me, I, I don't know that that will ever change. I think that's what makes us Alaskans. I think so too. I think our Alaskan Native, not just Alaskan Native, actually, just Alaskan community, our culture in general really depends on communities being able to lean on each other for help and be able to share and be equal. Um, so with the ongoing issues caused by climate change, how has COVID affected these communities in pursuing solutions? Well, I mean, a lot of things have happened, you know, where um, not only climate change and climate change has always been happening. Um, it's accelerated in the last um, decade or two um, and Alaskans feel it and see it, um, you know, seven times more, you know, expedient than the rest of the world. So, so everything's accelerated and, and that when you have communities that have are dealing with um, other negative issues such as a pandemic or climate threats or on top of that you know um, maybe um, generational trauma from recent you know border school trauma or, or whatever it may be when you compound negatives on on top of negatives um, what it does is create a gap and that gap um, for response and solutions gets further and further away. Um, it takes a lot of money to relocate a community. Um, out of our communities, um, we have 144 threatened communities, environmentally threatened communities in our state. That is um, 
we have just over 200 rural communities. When you think about that, um, more than 45% of our state is threatened by climate change. And part of the reason is, um, you know, most of our people were migratory. And so they traveled with the food resources. And when Western contact um, came, it was, it made, created communities that were stationary. And so those those communities were on fragile ground all along. Um, now it's just kind of catching up with us. Um, and that was that was why our people were migratory and were able to survive for thousands and thousands of years because they were constantly moving. Well, in a Western setting, you're defined by um, imaginary lines of land, right? Um, and so, and then you have regulation and all these things that compound that. And so, um, what we're trying to do is change how we respond and change how we look at it. So if you look at climate change, this is always going to be happening. Um, before, um, we could respond accordingly because we could move naturally with the planet, right? Um, so we had the symbiotic dance with nature. Um, nobody was telling us you can't go over there. We knew we could just move. And so now we're told you can't go there, you can't go there. And, um, but we can't stay here either because it's chomping away, you know, the river's taking out the land. And so so what do we do? I think that, um, again, it goes back to working together, partnering with regional corporations that are for profit or village corporations, looking at it through a public health lens, because everything about it is going to affect your health. And then trying to close those gaps. Um, funding gaps are pushed further and further away when something else is disrupted within the natural flow of things. So add say a community relocating and then a pandemic and then the money stops and then you just wait right well nature's not waiting but we're waiting and so we have to think through i think what we're going to have to do is like look at it through our ancestors eyes and what would our ancestors have done if, the, if somebody had drawn if, well they never would have imagined all these imaginary lines of land like you can't go there um, but what we do know is where can we go what land do we own what land could we trade um, with the government um, and look at it through that lens um, instead of just waiting, um, finding solutions within ourselves, um, empowering communities to use um, visioning sessions to look at the future through their eyes, through their ancestors' eyes. Um, so now we have these imaginary lines. How do we change the, the rules of the game? Because now they've changed the rules of the game. How do we change our rules? And so now, Okay, we could we could safely go to this place, but it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Well, traditionally, nobody paid for people to migrate with the animals. It was just part of nature. So um, I think we're going to just have to kind of shift the way we think and look at solutions and make them, you know, couple not only science um, with climate modeling, um, the information that that's giving us um, for the future, but with indigenous knowledge bearers and, um, you know, working together. Um, so that we can find solutions that are adaptable for our own people. So for a lot of people, COVID has really impacted their mental health. Could you talk about how Alaskan Native or rural communities, how their people, their mental health has been affected? I, again, you know, that's not my field of expertise. Um, but I will say that, you know, in working with communities, um, that isolation is very difficult. It's hard for people um, because we're very social. Um, our cultures are social. And so um, 
but then again, I, I think it, we have to remember that it, it comes back to that wellness piece. Being in quarantine, you know, if you're not sick, if you don't have um, symptoms, doesn't mean you can't take a walk. Um, I think that even that was defined a little poorly in the beginning. Um, people went into isolation and locked themselves up, even if they didn't have symptoms, when really they could very much have um, taken walks every day, you know, and separated themselves from um, infecting others. I think that we have to look at how we naturally, um, what our life and worldviews are um, in rural Alaska. and and that's how we, you know, we we look. We have to look at mental health through that same lens. Um, mental health is not separate from our human body. Um, sometimes we talk about it like it is, <laughs> um, when really, you know, um, our elders would say, if you weren't being the, part of a community, then um, go sit out in nature for a while and and see how long you could sit alone without wanting to be around people, right? Um, and if you grew up in rural Alaska, you grew up outside playing outside, um, you know, whatever traditional activities you normally did, you should, well, to me anyway, I would say the last three years, I have done more traditional things that normally I don't have, I don't prioritize and have time for, but really it, it reminded me just how interconnected to nature we are. And so I would never um, separate the piece of mental health away from that because, um, even unhealthy trees have healthy trees next to them. So there's always someone there. I really love that metaphor. Even unhealthy trees have healthy trees next to them. It, 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 it's a reminder that there's always going to be people that you can reach out to, which I really, really, I really love that sentiment. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thank you. That was at me producer, Rowie McAllen, speaking with Jackie Schaefer, a community development manager with the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Shrek and Gost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage for the Healthy Communities Funding Program and the CDC Foundation Arts and Vaccine Confidence Project. The opinions, findings and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates.
For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Finn Rogers. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.